From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. This is the Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition, episode 217 for the week of November 7, 2013. The Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition is brought to you by James Unlimited Travel Hubby and Planet Perfect Disney Vacation. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I'm your host Tom Bell and I'm joined by our Disneyland team. Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Malata-Willie, and Michael Bowling. In this segment, Mary Jo talks about what it takes to add the Rose Parade to your Disneyland vacation. Mary Jo? Hello. Hello. Um, hey. <laughs> and Michael, too. Yes, it, hi. Before I get into what we're going to do, well, let me start off this way. Um, a lot of people who come to the Disneyland Resort at Christmas time can take the opportunity to see a... California tradition by going to the Rose Parade. And I wanted to give a little history of the parade before I get into how the logistics into getting there for the actual event. And I want to let everybody know that um, the Rose Parade started way back in 1890 um, by the Valley Hunt Club. And the reason why they started the this parade was because they wanted to host an event and invite people from back east who were living with um, snow and very cold weather, and they wanted to share the beautiful climate that we have here in Southern California with them. So they started this um, tournament, and it wasn't called a tournament back in those days. It was just basically um, some competitions and a parade that they wanted to have before the competition. So the competitions included jousting, chariot races, foot races, polo, tug of war, stuff like that. And um, and so what they did is, as people came the first year, it was a huge success. So they decided to keep continuing with this. And then they games started expanding, and so they had um, ostrich races, bronco-busting demonstrations, and they even had a race between a camel and an elephant where the elephant won. And so then they started um, building stands along the parade route, and pe- newspapers started writing about this New Year's Day festival. And since the news- newspapers, of course, were promoting this across the nation, each year more and more people would come to participate in the games and then also to see this parade. And from the very beginning, they decided that they wanted to only have um, that all the carriages had to be decorated with flowers of every kind. So that was a criteria for getting into the parade was to be decorated with the different flowers. And, of course, today there's the parade itself is a lot more elaborate, has high-tech computerized animation, exotic natural materials from around the world. So not only do they have flowers decorating the different floats and the animals and cars, they also use seeds, bark, anything as long as it was living at one time, except for people, any plant item that was living at one time, and every surface has to be covered with some type of plant. And since they've um, expanded into, like I said, the bark, grasses, and other things, they can now have different textures on their floats. And so it's really a beautiful parade. a lot of the plants that they get, most of them come from South America, but they get them from all over the world. And a lot of these floats are built um, still by volunteers. 
but other floats are now built by companies, and they usually start making them or designing them. As soon as the parade is over, they go right into design for the following year. Um, yep. And they, even though they don't may not know what the theme is right away, they um, just start preparing um, all these ideas. And you're going to say something, Nancy? I was going to say, um, yeah. Usually they start stripped down within a week. The floats are on display after the parade for uh, two days, and then the volunteer floats will go to back to certain locations to be on display, like the one here in Burbank. I To give some background, I, I helped build the Burbank one a few years running, um, and I helped with, like, you know, mesh construction, things like that, things that are normally done by professional employees in the big float houses that are in Pasadena and Altadena and those areas. Um, there are several self-builts where you can actually go in and volunteer with community members, um, you know, so you just set it up ahead of time with them. They appreciate it too, especially if you're a florist, um, to come during certain weeks to help decorate. Um, but chassis and stuff are built early. They'll get a road test in July, I believe, on the initial body, and then I could be wrong on that. It's been a while, but um, and then they'll get their secondary testings a little bit later on. So they'll strip the chassis right after the parade and then uh, start rebuilding them up. And a lot of and a lot of volunteers, like Nancy was saying, a lot of volunteers take part just because um, whoever, whatever town or organization is going to have the floats, people take a lot of pride, and so yep. they want to participate in it. Plus, it's just a lot of fun. So well, in 1980, go ahead, Nancy. I was going to say, plus um, all of the raw materials cannot go on until the day after Christmas. So any of your materials like your, um, like your, um, you know, all the seeds, all the ground flower petals, all of that, they're all prepared during the year. But then um, starting on December 26th through January 31st, that is when uh, the, that is when the materials are applied. They cannot be applied any other time. Yeah, I helped um, construct a parade when I was at university. Um, I helped construct a float. It was San Francisco's float, and they built the shell of it in Golden Gate Park. And mm-hmm. so my fraternity helped construct it, and then it got trucked down to um, Pasadena where it was finished down there. But it was a lot of fun um, working on it. So that's really cool that locally you were able to start it off and then – when the parade happened, you could see probably some of the work that you had done mm-hmm. when um, the parade was going down yeah. the route. Oh, it even won an award. It was a cable car on a hill, if I remember correctly, and it, it won one of the awards. I don't remember which one. Oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said earlier, the Valley Hunt Club had begun with this parade, but because it got so big, they no longer could handle it, and so that's when the Tournament of Roses Association was created. That was back in 1895. And then the town lot where they, you know, first started doing this, they renamed that to the Tournament Park in 1900. So the parade takes place on January 1st, except when January 1st lands on a Sunday. And do you guys know what happens then? It moves to... um it moves to the next day, I believe. 
Right. It moves yeah, to the next to day. Monday to the 2nd of January. Exactly. And that is because way back when the parade started and they used horses and back when everybody was using the horse and buggy in those days, well, on Sundays people would be at church and when the parade would go down the, the road, it would disturb, the noise would disturb the horses and it would just cause a ruckus. So they decided that they would no longer have the parade on Sundays at all. And the tradition stays to, t- you know, today yep. there's no horses to bother anything, but it's tradition that the parade will not take place on a Sunday. Ever. That routine, that happened, what, two years ago? Three years ago, something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was recently. Was yeah. yeah. And everybody was like, what? But that parade, I mean, it's the hundred, and it was, this year's going to be 125 years, so that's how long that tradition has been. Yeah. And then after the parade, they have the Rose Bowl game. And the very first Tournament of Roses football game, um, it was the first postseason football game in the nation, was staged at Tournament Park in 1902. And the game was West Coast Stanford against the Midwestern Michigan. And they had, they had, um, seats for a thousand people. Well, remember how we talk about the first day of Disneyland and what happened there? Same thing happened at that, that game. 8,000 people showed up and there was a stampede. So they decided no more football games. So the next year, they decided to have something a lot safer, like chariot races. And that was inspired by um, Ben-Hur had just been written, and had and people kind of liked it. And so they started Roman-style chariot races because of that. But then people were getting hurt, and so that lasted till 1915. And then in 1916, football came back. And then they were much better prepared for the people who would come to see the game. And they've been playing football um, ever since then. And it's the oldest intercollegiate postseason bowl game between two major conferences in the United States. So, and the longest running, obviously. Um, it's also been the occasion of many firsts. It was the uh, first local radio broadcast of an East-West Bowl game that happened in 1926. The first transcontinental radio broadcast of a sporting event happened in 1927. The first local telecast, excuse me, telecast of a college football game in 1948, and the first national telecast of a college football game in 1952. It was also um, the first coast-to-coast color telecast of a collegiate football game in 1962. So you know this event is just so big that as um, technology has improved, they've been wanting to you know use this event to showcase it. And again, like the parade, the Rose Bowl is held on January 1st, except when it falls on a Sunday. And that's basically because they don't want to compete with the NFL game. So they'll, they'll pull it on a, they'll put it on another day after that. And where I talked about, um, the tournament lot, there's also a tournament house. And the Mm -hmm. tournament house is the official headquarters of the Pasadena Tournament of Roses. And the house was built in 1906 by Lawrence Stimson and George Stimson, and it was sold in 1914 to the famous William Wrigley Jr. And he bought that house, that mansion, for $170,000. That's a lot of gum. Yeah, that's a lot of gum. Well, this is just what, uh, that was his wife's favorite house. They also owned the Wrigley Mansion on Catalina Island, and they built the casino. And they had, 
you know, Wrigley Field is named after them. So this guy got got around, you know, a lot of double mint for that. <laughs> so it's an Italian-style mansion, and you can see it at the beginning, you know, before the Rose Parade starts, when mm-hmm. they show the court and they're talking to people. I think it's on Orange Street. Which it is, is. It's on Orange Street. It's on Orange Street, right? Yeah. That's where the parade starts. And so they will show, um, they'll do a lot of interviews there, and that's what you're looking at. The house yeah. was um, donated. Orange Grove. Orange Grove is the name of the street, right? Yeah. It's on Orange Grove Boulevard. It was donated to um, Pasadena in 1958 by the Wrigley family um, with the, with the uh, what do you call that, rule? that only it would always be used for the Tournament of Roses Association. And they've expanded. There's offices there and other things there. So I thought I'd um, share a little bit of Rose Parade trivia. Um, If you've ever wondered how many flowers it takes to decorate just one float, a lot. So basically they say that for all the floats, it takes about 18 million flowers. And like I said, it's all over the they come from all over the world, but uh, most of them come from South America just because of the time of the year that we're talking about. Yep. The floats can um, get pretty complicated. They have had small working roller coasters, a car that yep. transformed into a spaceship, if you guys remember that, a working mm-hmm. water slide. If you guys, I think the Van Pattens were on that working water slide. I remember them. The, the Vince and the other brothers sliding well, down. Well, there was the, uh, the skate ramp for the, the, there's the one that has the skate ramp for the dogs. The, and oh, those dogs yeah. come every year, right? I yep. think those dogs are just so, they're so cute and popular yeah. that it's like, you know, people are looking to say, okay, what are they, uh, gonna do this year? Well, and if you watch video from, of the parade from year to year, you can actually see which chassis are which. You can actually tell, like, there will always, they always use the same chassis for something that stands up. Like, for instance, um, there was a, there's been the, uh, the spaceman. Honda always does, Honda uses that chassis. Oh, that's um, true. Well, then Honda sponsors the Rose Parade, so they always have. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Honda uses the one because they, they made it into Asimov, the robot, once. Mm-hmm. I remember and that. stuff like that. And, um, yep, and can I throw a couple of dates out there? Um, they actually pick the marching bands from around the world um, in February. They uh, is when they announce the, the marching bands. And in July, they announce the equestrian units. Right. And that but- several other events have actually spawned off of that original football game, too, like Equifest. What's that? Oh, with the um. Uh, there's a whole. All of the horse units actually perform in a demonstration on the 29th. Um, so two days before, or yeah, two days before the parade, there's a huge showcase of all the horse um, units that are participating, and then the bands that are in the parade perform also on the 29th and 30th. If you're down at Disney, you will actually run into these bands because a lot of times what happens is a few of these bands will get chosen to to march at Disneyland before the parades. Right, since they're here in town, they can yeah. do that. And even though they announce them at that time, they're actually chosen two years in advance. Yeah. And they do this to give them a chance to raise the money um, so that mm-hmm. they can go to the parade. 
Yeah. And then um, the Rose Queen, um, that's, that tradition is more than 90 years old. And back in when they first started, the Rose Queen had to make their own, um, they had to sew their own dresses for the floats, and they had to make their own floats. So it's, things are a little bit different today than how they were back when they first started women's women's rights, I think. Um, grand marshals in the past have been uh, Mr. Rogers, George Lucas, Jimmy Stewart, Pele. Do you guys know who Pele is? Yes. Soccer player. Soccer player. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Hope. And Bob Hope was um, a very special one. That one was in 2001. If you guys remember, um, they the theme that year was I'm sorry it was it was 2000 not 2000. Let me see, it was 2001. It was 2001, and the theme that year was Fabric of America. And for the mm-hmm. first time in Rose um, Tournament of Roses history, they stopped the parade. United States Army um, the paratroopers landed in front of the VW VFW float. Mm-hmm. And they saluted Bob Hope, and he saluted them back. So that was um, kind of an emotional moment for there because of the patriotism. And that was kind of cool that they um, did that homage to, to Bob Hope. What family do you guys think have um, have more than one member serve as Grand Marshal? The Disney family. Very good. The Disney yeah. family. Um Walt Disney was the Grand Marshal in 1966, and Roy E. Disney, who's Susan Lord, Disney Lord's dad, um, was the Grand Marshal in 2000, and Mickey Mouse was also the Grand Marshal in 2005, so he's, he's a Disney child, so. Um, which Grand Marshal was a Grand Marshal when that person was a child and again as an adult? Mickey Rooney. Shirley Temple. Good guess, Tom, and you're right, Michael. Shirley Temple. Both. Um, she was there um, in 1999 as an adult, along with Buzz Aldrin, um, and also a posthumous salute to Jackie Robinson, um, and his friend um, sat there for him, and film producer David Wolper. They were all Grand Marshals at the same time in 2014. I'm sorry, in 1999. Um, also, uh, Mary Pickford, just a slew of, of Grand Marshals. They have 24 categories for prizes for the Rose Parade. Now, I'm not going to say all of them, but um, there's three judges that examine the floats twice during the decorating stage and once um, right before the new year. One of the judges represents the floral industry, and then others are kind of in related fields. And then, and so you know about that, Nancy? I can tell you all about it because I have actually attended multiples of these judges. Too bad we don't have the time. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's really actually very cool. Um, When the judges arrive, it is announced that they're coming within maybe about two or three hours. And if the floats aren't ready, they're not gonna. Then they miss their opportunity to be yes. awarded. Yes, you have to so. be to a certain point before you can be judged on either on either section. Um, if you are in attendance, they require complete and utter quiet. 
So when you're in the big houses, the big workhouses, and the judges arrive, it just quiets down. It, it literally just shuts down so that they can um, do what they need to do for the parades. They have to be tested on driving as on drivability to make sure everything works. All the animation must work. If you have animation on your float. Um, you need to have your floral done in a certain amount of time. And to give you an idea, all of these floats are color-coded painted before the floral goes on. So you know exactly what color represents what types of flowers. Um, and then there's usually people working fresh and dry materials that pass it on out with, like, three different types of glue. And Nice. Thank you. No so problem. I pre I mean, I didn't even know that. I wondered how they knew what, you know, what kind of flowers to put on there and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and all of the roses and a few of the other types are um, all put in individual vials. So, you know, like the little vials that come on a corsage? Mm-hmm. Those vials are, at, the rose is actually stuck into that vial, and there are holes hammered into the float for every single one of those vials. Well, and, they, have, and they need them. And, yeah, yeah. And also those go on the day before. Roses don't go on until um, the night of the 30th. So you can imagine the frenzy of activity before. Um, um, you're, I've done a few overnights. That was before I had the kids. Um, and, yeah, punching holes into, um, that was the year the city of Burbank won um, best display of, ro- best use of roses. And we had a, a a big giant mesa with a few cows on it, <laughs> and the entire mesa was roses of wow. different shades. See, that's and so cool. That it, it took us a long time to do that. I can imagine. So, how do we see this thing? Hey, so, well, before, uh, one more thing I want to say before we uh, tell you how we see it. Typically, there's a flyover that occurs at the beginning of the parade. And that's the B2 Spirit of America that flies over the parade. It flies at about a 1,000 feet. It comes from Whiteman Air Force Base. And then it um, goes over the Rose Parade, goes up to Oregon. It goes um, from Oregon out to the ocean. And then it goes, it refuels over the Pacific. And then it goes back to Whiteman Air Force Base. And they use this as a training training session for the B-2. And, of course, since I work for Northrop, that's real special to me. I always salute it when it when it goes by. So the Rose Parade this year, 2014, is going to have as the Grand Marshal, Vince Scully, and the theme is Dreams Come True. And it's the 125th Rose Parade um, that's going to be there. Um, people have the opportunity to go see the floats before um as, like Nancy said, as, as people are putting the flowers on, um, we will have um, links in our show notes for these different um, for the different things. But they, people can go and um, see the floats before they're actually put on display, with, or they can also volunteer to help put them together. Um, there's different ways to see the per, to see the rose parade. You have grandstand seating. If you want to have grandstand seating, you need to get your tickets now because they yep. will sell out. Um, they're selling out now. And it's the Sharp Seating Company. The only way you can get these seats is by going through the Sharp Seating Company. 
we'll have a link.com. So there you go. Um, <laughs> and well, that's the easy way to get it, which is sharpseating.com. And you can go to Google to get it, but we'll also have that in the, in the, in the notes. Um, and if you get this, this type of seating, then you don't have to spend the night before the parade. You have your seats, you just, but you do have to get there in time to park and get to your seats. The parade begins at 8 o'clock in the morning, so I recommend getting there at 6 o'clock, no later than So if you're, leaving, if you're leaving from the Disneyland area? If you're leaving from the Disneyland area, then you want to leave about 5 in the morning. Yeah, I would definitely leave at 5 in the morning. The other nice thing about getting your tickets through Sharp Seating is the fact that they also sell parking with the seat, you know, with the seats. So you're um, not going to have to fight for parking. Yeah. They also have RV overnight parking that they sell as well. So that's something important. I'm actually checking right now to see what grandstands still have tickets. Okay. So what are the other options? The other options are sitting on the curb along Colorado Boulevard. You, um, Orange Grove Boulevard, I wouldn't recommend sitting there. Colorado Boulevard is really long. Part, people can start saving spots at noon the day before. Wow. I've actually gone there at midnight the night before um, with my family, and we have, um, you need to take your blanket with you because it gets kind of cold late at night, but there's a lot of activity going on, kind of um, unusual characters that go up and down the street. I'll just say <laughs> it that way. Um, if you go, if you're going to go, the earlier you get there, um, the better parking opportunities you have. Otherwise, plan on parking as kind of a distant away. There's lots of parking. So don't stress about finding a parking spot. You can definitely um, celebrate the new year at Disneyland and then head right out because that's what we used to do and head right out to Colorado Boulevard. Join the madness and park your car and go sit there. You're going to get better views on Colorado Boulevard. And what they do yeah. is... People can sit on the curbs, and then at midnight, um, before there is a blue line along Colorado Boulevard on both sides, and people can move out. It's probably about three feet from the curb, so people can move out from there and kind of spread out and set their set their seats. Once the parade starts, people need to pull up their blankets and and everything that they've um, had to to when they spread out. It's kind of like when we go see the fireworks and everybody's sitting on the ground and kind of spread out, and then a half hour before the fireworks, they make everybody stand and kind of squish together. It's kind of what happens at the parade. There's a lot of food vendors going up and down the street and people selling, um, um, what do you call those, um, programs. A lot of people selling programs yeah. that describe all the floats and what's going on in the bands and the horses, um, and the, and everything. So, the programs and, are one of my favorite favorite. Oh, I love the programs. They have so much detail and about what you're seeing, and it really helps when you're over there and you can see um, the explanations and and a little bit of the background on the floats and everything. Yeah. To me, you get a. It's a tradition, and you get the most if you go and spend the cold night out on the sidewalk <laughs> with people. If you don't want to go that early and wait that long, oh, and also the day before, people are sitting there and they have little bar, you can take little barbecues. 
and cook food. A lot of people do that. Um, so if you are driving down to the Disneyland Resort and you're going to pack a little hibachi or, or something, you can do, take that and, excuse me, make your food. Or just buy off the vendors. They have a lot of really good. They sell tamales because tamales are real popular out here um, during the holiday season, as well as hot dogs, hamburgers, burritos. Yep. Trying to think of all that. Anyway, hot chocolate, hot coffee. There's people going up and down the streets. When you as, go can ahead, I interrupt for a second. Of as of right now, as of our time of recording, there are only ten grandstands left. And they fill up. And there are three, the parade's divided into four sections. Area one is um, Orange Grove Boulevard turning on to, you know, the famous turn the corner on the Colorado Boulevard that you always see on every parade viewing. Um, there is one at the very start where there, the floats line up, um, and then there's another one right at the end of that, and one right along the corner. Area two, um, which is basically through Old Town Pasadena, um, nothing. Area three has four grandstands. That goes you down to, is that, that's um, south of Lake Avenue. Um, and, um, yeah, there's only four. And then area four is the very end where it turns onto Sierra Madre and heads towards the, uh, the float display area. And that has three grand strands with stuff left. Um, okay, so ticket prices. About, uh, oh, thank you. Sorry. That was my next question. Go ahead. Ticket prices on the grandstands go anywhere from $45 to the worst view. Um, 50 and 65, those are in areas 3 and 4. If you want right at the beginning of the parade, you're going to pay anywhere from 81 to $90. Any of those grandstands on the corner, that's per person. Any of those grandstands around the corner are 90 and then there's a 10% discount on the ones right at the start of the parade because you don't really get to see them move very much. Okay, you also have the opportunity to um, get packages, so you can get pre- and post-parade um, tickets there also. Mm-hmm. So you can, and then, um, like Nancy said, the RV overnight parking yeah. there. And depending on how close you are where you park your car, um, you're looking at $60, and they have, um, if it's going to be two nights, then it's $100 to... Um, to park over there. So, like Nancy said, the Sharp Seating Company has all these details. It's very user friendly. Yeah. Um, has the road, the Rose Parade route map, um, and the other information that people are going to want to know. And what do you need to, um, what do you need to do to get there to the parade to see that? Now, yeah. if you they- don't want to spend that kind of money, and you have a family, and you don't mind some adventure, then Pack your jackets, your um, hotel blanket, or your blanket, and um, go down to the parade route and camp out, as as we said. Now, as we said, the parade starts in Orange Grove, then it goes down Colorado Boulevard, which is the famous um, street, and then it turns left and goes up Sierra Madre. Now, there's a bridge, there's a, there's a, 
bridge for a freeway over Sierra Madre. And what happens is the floats that are really high will, because they're on um, hydraulics, they'll move their, their, um, they'll lower their, they'll lower the, some of their like extensions, et cetera, so they can make it underneath the freeway. If you go to the last two miles of the parade, the pros about that is you can get there like at, I've been, I was there at five in the morning, plenty of room. We could have got there at six, seven in the morning. We would have been okay to see the parade. So the pro is that you don't have to stay overnight to get to that area. You have a lot of, you have more room. Parking is free. There's plenty of parking in the neighborhoods and, and parking lots in that area. But for the parades that lowered the, um, some of the, the taller extensions, they don't all raise them up again. So you're not going to get the full effect. Plus, the parade is five miles, five and a half miles long. By the time kids get there and you're talking the last, you know, the fourth mile, they're, oh, let's just say they're glowing by the time they get there. Um, the horses are lathered up and the parade definitely is, doesn't look as fresh as it does at the beginning of the parade. Definitely. If you, if you don't care about that, um, when I went with um, my younger friends, they could care less. We were having fun. It was the whole experience. Um, we had a lot of fun. And everybody there is in a good mood. So it was mm-hmm. a lot more relaxed and you didn't have that cramp feeling. So you go ahead and do that. At least you can say that you've been to the Rose Parade. You've experienced it. The cool thing is that the people on the parade route are the, the who are on the flows are still performing and they're still um, have a lot of energy that they're for the show and you're not going to lose out in any of that but if you want to see the parade in all its glory as I'll put it then yeah you're going to have to tough it out get there early and find a spot on Colorado Boulevard with everybody else to do that and I've probably I think I've done Colorado Boulevard probably four times I've done the neighborhood three times in my life, and I've never been in the grandstands. We've what? done the grandstands twice. <laughs> and, and to me, it doesn't sound like that outrageous of pricing. No, when you consider how much you pay to go to a sporting event yeah. these days or a concert, yeah. it really is a pretty and, and decent... And how long the parade, was the parade last? It's two hours. hours. Yeah. yeah. It, it's two hours, and then... But it's just like it's just like going to a baseball game or any other game. You know, when you watch it at home, you see, you know, they show a lot of the close-ups or whatever. But when you're there and the smells and the sounds and the right. cheering and the excitement, there's so much to it. It's just, I mean, it's one of those, I'm such a, I'm such a dork. It's one of those times I sit there and I go, God, I'm so glad to be an American or a Californian and, and be able to yeah. participate in and See, see this event. It's just such a cool tradition that we have here. So I think if anybody comes to the Disneyland Resort, especially during that time of the year, mm-hmm. um, you know, New Year's Eve is fun, but so many times you don't even get to see all the fireworks and everything because of it's just get so smoky and there's a lot of people. If you're going to come down, think about going to the Rose Parade as a as an alternative because that's just a tradition. Yeah that it's 125 years old now, and each year it brings something special to it. 
this year SeaWorld is having their um, float for the first time, so that's going to be kind of fun to watch. Well, you know, one of the, one of my favorite things to do, to comment about this on is if you're going to go to the Rose Parade and you're going to do something like camp out, or you're going one of the best things about getting those $91 seats and getting the parking in that area is you can get into the parking at a pretty reasonable time. All of the floats have to be parked on Orange Grove Boulevard before midnight. If that float isn't there by midnight, they are disqualified from any judging that occurs. And they run the judging um at one, they do a judging pass at one in the morning, and they do a judging pass at three in the morning. There's a lot of energy um, yes. around the rose parade. And the being there before, at midnight on yeah, if you if you're in those great seats, those ninety one dollar seats, you are literally just a half a block away from where the parade float lineup starts, and literally they're parked on both sides of the street. They clear off all of those streets, um, so they're parked all the way down for the entire lineup. So you basically walk from one float to the next to the next, and you're right next to them, literally, just right next to them. You can see everything in detail. Sometimes they'll have the animation going, um, and you really get a good sense, and it feels like a big, giant community block party. Yeah. It does. Um, let me give you some more prices. The uh, decorating places to go see. Um, some of the floats you can see for free, but there's other floats that you have to pay to go to go look at just because where they're located and what they have set up. Those are $10 each. Um, the marching bands will be um, practicing for the Rose Parade. That's called the Band Fest. That's $15 to go see that. Um the Equifest that Nancy mentioned is $15. You'll spend the afternoon watching and meeting a lot of the um, equestrians and the horses for the Rose Parade. And the gates open at 11 o'clock a.m. And the show's for two hours. And the barns are open um, until the, the show starts at noon. And then the barns are open from 2 to 3, th- three o'clock so that you can see the the um, horses, etc. And they also will have food and static displays. They have... Um, VIP reserve seating for that is $35. Then the post parade, um, where you go see the floats, like Nancy said, afterwards is, um, they're $10 to go see those parades. I mean, excuse me, to go see those floats. And they're going to be up for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So you really don't want to wait too long to see them. There's going to be over 50 floats that are, um, gathered there. So to go see them up in person, even if you do watch it on TV, Again, the festive atmosphere when you go see these floats and just part of the tradition, there's this energy that's just humming all around it. Um, I would heartily recommend, um, sorry to interrupt Mary Jo, I would heartily recommend buying post-parade tickets in advance because the line to spontaneously buy tickets goes for a mile at times. So that, and that's really good advice. And they also have um, here. This is it's expected that close to 150,000 visitors wow. will tour post parade, and then yep. this is just two days. So there's um, street parking is limited. Rather than fighting that, they have a parking lot. 
and the shuttle's three bucks. So go pay the three dollars yeah. and 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 that, that shuttle goes. Enjoy. That shuttle goes from Pasadena City College on, on Colorado Boulevard. Plenty of parking because, of course, the college is not in session during that period. So park there very easily. Take the shuttle. We've done that. It's so much nicer. Oh, yeah, and the shuttle, if you go in the shuttle, you have um, priority entry when you get to yep. the rows, when you get to the floats. And children, five and under, right free. Yep. So, you know, this is, have, has, Nancy and I have been to the Rose Parade. Have Tom, you and Michael, have either of you been to the Rose Parade? No. No. Once Carol and I had plans to go, but, um, but then something came up and we weren't able to. We had tickets for the grandstand and. Wow, and you missed it? Yep. My my girlfriend and I always talk about um, going to the grandstand, but then I I get this crazy idea, and I remember uh, my younger days. Uh, my dad my dad used to go sleep in the car until it was time to come out. My mom would be as would be out there with them as kids, and then we did it again as teenagers. Then I did it again as a young adult, and you know when the girls friends. get over I, when the girls get over, I'm willing to do that. But grandstands were really nice. And, you know, with the grandstands, too, you can also pack a picnic lunch or a picnic breakfast. We took champagne. We put, Actually, we put champagne in it. You can't have glass bottles. So we put champagne in a big thermos. And, <laughs> Classy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't have glass bottles. That's one restriction around the parade area. So, so like yeah. Of, but I sounds mean, like a lot of fun. It really is, and, and and at the very least, it's an experience. Oh, by the way, for all of our listeners who are out there, um, several. Well, I know the um, the Burbank, California, Plurry Float, which is worked on by a lot of Disney employees. Um, we, for our organization, we actually take. Um, drawings from anyone who wants to mail them in. So wouldn't that be cool if you submitted a drawing um, of what you would think would be a great parade float and it gets actually voted on by all the members of the Burbank Tournament of Roses group and wouldn't it be cool to get your float made? And and be part of, you know, it's part of the volunteer float process. There's six self-built volunteer floats in the parade. So, I don't know, I just thought I'd throw that in in case any listeners like to draw and design. So, um, I will put up a blog right after, it'll come up uh, right after this this, uh, segment airs so that people will have links to... um, the sharp seating that, that Nancy was talking about, as well as some other links to seeing the floats after the parade, before the f- parade, also the, the route, etc. So Excellent. Thank you, Mary Jo. Thank you, Nancy. Michael, that is going to do it for this segment of the Disney Unplugged. Be sure to catch all of our other Disneyland shows this week. And, of course, we'll be back again with you next week. Until then, remember, Disneyland is always more magical when it's shared. Thanks for listening.